If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's <Right. laughs> Okay, guys, welcome back to the Graham Eric Show. We are going to be chatting with Eli Coberly a little bit later. What we chat about again? The War in the Hearts of Men. It's got a book out. I've seen the art, and I've seen that title, but I still, I mean, I feel like for the first time in a long time, we've built up a can again, and we're, you know. Yeah, we did, yeah. It's a good feeling to have. Yeah. Some extra apps. Yeah, um, I feel like it is so far behind the time, especially with both shows. Yeah, in this in his new book, he details his lifelong quest to understand the Maya culture and its impact on the present. He shares the discovery of his uh, of the artistry of stone carved symbols on the heels of his extensive travels to both Central and South America. In this intimate right. and inspirational text, he contrasts the contemporary life with the past as he explores spiritual rituals that form the framework of the ancient Maya culture. Yeah, pretty fascinating. It's I think it's it's way more prevalent to the like the just the ancient aspect and how how big that was. Like that other book, I talk about the book a little bit in this show that we published in audio. There, it's called uh, the Prehistoric World or the Vanished Races, and they go they go quite a quite in depth back in the late eighteen hundreds on the Maya. Of course, that's terrible. Over on Audible, yeah, want to check that out. Also, if you want to skip our lazy rounds, jump right in the chat with Eli. There's a timestamp in the show notes. This is probably going to be a long intro. Yeah, it'll be, probably be a little long, extended, I would say. Why? Right, what do you got? Well, I mean, we got to talk about we got we got to talk about all kinds of stuff. We got to talk about your stuff. There's lots going on. I mean, I feel like we just need to sort of vent a little bit too. So. Hopefully people stick around for our lazy ramblings, but you know, if not, I mean, we got a couple extra apps coming out too. I think we're going to put an extra one of these apps out. We're trying to have a sort of a surprise app with a great interview, somebody that you'll all love. And we got an extra outlawed app coming out. Um, and I guess there's some more news. I mean, if you want to watch some videos of our outlawed apps, um, you can go, this is our other podcast, completely Grimerica outlawed. Um, get the full audio from the website and then all the podcast players. Uh, but you can also see the videos on Rumble and Locals and Substack. So there's some ways to get our content in a different sort of platform, different variety. Yeah, maybe you're, uh, it's a good way to like gift us to someone. Maybe you could sign up for that kind of stuff. But we'll talk about that more on that show. Of course, if you guys. I mean, some people still can't seem to figure out that it is a completely different podcast that we do with different sort of subject matter, mostly a little more controversial. So if you want to check that out, that's GrabAmericaOutloud.ca. Search GrabAmericaOutloud in your podcast player. 
Anyways, I assume that what you want to talk about is the liberal government's plans for uh, the liberal convention. Well, no, no, not really. I mean, no, I was, I was thinking more of like the coronation aspect. I wanted to kind of talk about the coronation. Oh. But I mean, and and the problem is, we're doing the intro on Monday, the May eighth, so. You know, everybody's had a few days to digest the the weirdness going on in the world in the last kind of weekend, but I but yeah, about it. Kevin called me and filled me in on some things on the six 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 thing and on the this and the that. But uh, other than that, I am completely oblivious on any of this coronation stuff. Well, yeah. So I mean, so okay, let's just talk. Let's just just jump into this a little bit. Then I'm going to link to two Substacks that are amazing. One is from Matt Eret, who we have a video out. He was on our Outlawed. The audio will be coming out soon. And also Naomi Wolf. Um, they both have a very, very different substack on the coronation. Um, but first of all, before we get into that, even I mean, so yeah, so Kevin, Kevin called there and said, so I mean, this is this is this is why it's so crazy, right? And and I haven't gone through the calendar myself and checked this, but I've heard it from enough sort of reliable sources from what I consider reliable that it's probably true. But he says her- he's the Antichrist. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. He's the Antichrist. Well, geez, that's well, that's very interesting. I mean, I you know. So six months, six weeks, six days after the Queen was announced dead or what that she died, the day she died, he was coronated. So is that a coincidence? I mean, it's also the day after the WHO says there's no more emergency for corona, the coronavirus. So the corona ends with the WHO and the coronation starts the next day. I mean, come on. Another coincidence? Could be. But they still want vaccines. The liberals still say they're going to mandate vaccines. Well, that's so that's that's what that's kind of how this all connects, right? Then today going around everywhere is the liberal the Canadian liberal platform and and you know again this is not like it's old so my friend says oh i just found out this is old and i'm i'm pissed off at my friend who sent me this um because you know it's like he's sending him old stuff right and then i started getting it myself and i looked into it i i followed the link to the canadian the liberal website i'm like oh my god it's right there it's like how can we finish off the covid i should just i should go to it actually Instead of just railing about it here, railing. It's on our Insta- it's on our Instagram too. So it says to finish the fight. I mean, this is this is like just it's it's so mind blowing. I'm actually I'm actually really enjoying it because I think they should just they should really approve this, get it in their platform, and we'll see what happens. But to finish the fight against COVID, protect people at work, ensure businesses can get back up to speed, and most importantly, make sure our kids can safely return to school. We need to do everything we can to keep the public spaces safe. So a reelected liberal government will require that travelers on interprovincial trains, flights, cruise ships, other federally regulated vessels be vaccinated, ensure vaccination across the federal public service. And then we'll keep working with employers and crown corporations, regulated workplace vaccinations, prioritized for workers, free boosters, you know, so, and and so of course that isn't that is their old platform, but it's it's they just had a meeting apparently, and I heard a voice recording of one of the MPs or, or one of their offices say that 
they're trying to approve this. They're trying to get this actually to stay in their platform. So maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't, but the fact that they left it there on purpose, it's pretty alarming. You think their base even, I, I mean, who even would agree to this right now at this point? Uh, I don't know. I'd be curious to, um, what the polls were. I wish there would be, I don't know. I Reliable polls? Yeah, you can't really trust the polls. And I'm not, don't, not really thinking the government will help me anyway, but I would like to just see Trudeau the fuck out of here. You know, I've just had enough of his mug and his little agenda and the other guys, at least maybe it'll be a slower agenda or different. I'm ready for a different flavor of the agenda at a minimum. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I just hope this goes through. I hope they, I hope they stick it because we'll see like th how this will, this will shine a bright light on how ridiculous they are. Because a lot of their base will just say, oh, this is out of control now. I mean, sure, there'll be like 20, 30% that are just hardcore going along with it, but. Kevin sent me some other shit too. And there's like a story that goes along with it, okay? So apparently he's got a buddy who works uh, with all this 5G stuff, right? With the 5G towers, all that kind yeah. of stuff on a pretty high level. Okay. I swear I've sort of heard this thing before, but with it, but. You know, Kevin says this is Bunny, so I don't know. Okay, can we can we talk about which Kevin we're talking you're talking about, or does it matter? I don't think he wants me to say which Kevin. Okay, at this okay. point. Okay, but the one that was just with us. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, you know, freaking out. You know, which is funny because there's a time when he was freaking out about the shots he already had. So. Now he, he calls me up today. First, he tries to call me last night. He's like, it's important. It's important. We got to talk. So talk to him today. And he sent me this link. And then he's got the story that goes along with the link. Um, and this thing does go. I mean, I'm looking at it at patents.google.com. That's the, the page I'm on on my cell phone. Patents.google. So the link he sent, sent me to patents.google. Google.com, U.S. patent number 6754472B1. Okay? Yep. And anyway, he's saying that his buddy was in there, took a picture of some shit inside there where he's seen patent numbers inside these 5G towers, took them back and ran them up on the internet, and that's where this link has come from. I don't know. This is, I'm not saying I did that, but this is what my buddy's telling me, okay? So, you want to know what the patent's for? <laughs> yeah, of course. Method and apparatus for transmitting power and data using the human body. <laughs> nice. Abstract. Methods and apparatus for distributing power and data to devices coupled to the human body are described. The human body is used as a conductive medium, e.g. a bus, over which power and data is distributed. <clears throat> power is distributed by coupling a power source to the human body via first set, uh, a first set of electrodes or a more one or more devices to be powered e.g. peripheral devices uh, so anyway claims a network of devices compromising a first device for generating a first electrical signal 
a body of a living creature for coupling the first device to the second device and for conducting the electrical signal from the first device to the second device and the initialization of information from the second device to the first device, wherein the first and second devices establish a master and slave relationship there between. I can't believe they use that in there. I know. So right? they're allowed to use master well, and slave in their patents? And we we can't even call the bedroom a master patent. bedroom and what? I'm just reading the shit out of the patent. I can't really understand it. But it, seems well, it sounds like they're transmitting stuff, stuff back and forth. And some 5G. If it came out of a 5G tower, though, then they're using the 5G to, like, do what? To interact with the, the graphene oxide that's swimming around in your veins? Well, that's <laughs> not, right? It has something to do with that. The jibbity jibbities, the jibbity jabs. Yeah, this will get us in trouble. What? Anyway, that's what Kevin sent me. So, yeah, I don't, know. I don't really have an opinion on it yet. It's just a weird place to get it from because he's not a conspiracy guy. He's kind of like mostly a leftist, and except on a few things, you know. Yeah, he's he's more conspiratorial than the average bear. I mean, come on, he's the average bear. Yeah, he. I mean, we've talked. We've had all kinds of crazy conversations about stuff. He's he's halfway there with a lot of stuff. So I'll get into this Matthew Arid post. Then I mean, this is really fascinating. He's done. This is Global Britain and King Charles Great Reset, and he gets into like you know, of course, the City of London, um, the casual hand of British intelligence, the Crown agents. Um, the queen is dead. Long live the king. I mean, this has been oh, 70 years. What? Since the last time they did this. Um, he's the world's largest property owner. 6.6 uh, .6 billion acres. Uh, prerogative powers are real. King Charles and the Great Reset. Eco warrior of a new crusade. The Nazi roots of House of Saxe, Coburg, Gotha. Oh, that's the other part. Apparently, he's descended from Vlad the Impaler. It was like one of the, like the original Dracul. <laughs> I mean, beyond the, beyond the film, more Nazi roots of the Windsors. I mean, the crown is the key to continue the continuity of empire. So, I mean, this is a fascinating one. And now, now continuity, continuity, um, Naomi Wolf has a completely different one. It's more about the uh, the esoteric symbolism and the occult sort of nature about this. She talks about how who's that? How Naomi Wolf. Yeah, she she's the one that did the uh, the book on the thirty two. She had like thirty two hundred people uh, investigating the Pfizer documents and all that. She wrote the book about that. Uh -huh. Her her thing is outspoken with Dr. Naomi Wolf. She's really come around to be one of the, the biggest warriors and all this. So it, it's quite a long one too. And it gets in all the crazy symbolism of the, of the pageantry of this and, and how there's a bunch of aberrant things going on with this. And then she talks about the dresses of the ladies and how like back in the day, she shows all these pictures of all the old coronations and how they wore like the, the clothes of the day, the ladies. And now these ladies are dressed like a druidic circle. I mean, they're wearing these, these gowns and they, and she shows comparisons with the Druid circles and stuff. So, you know, it, it really does feel like a departure from, from the tradition. And then she looks, she shows the, the pictures, like there's the, the big one, the one tree, almost like the tree of life on the screen. Did you know there's a screen, like a privacy screen 
when he said his things back there so nobody could hear what he was saying. So he, it was all covered up with the screen. No, I don't even know what 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 and, you're talking about. And they and they and and they they misquoted a bunch of stuff that was supposedly from Jesus, and they misquote. I mean, it's it's either full of intentional or sorry, unintentional like uh, errors, or it's, it's each. or it's just messed up on purpose. Very very strange. We're talking about the King's speech. Well, no. Um, uh no, the quotes that there they were some maybe his quotes during the thing, like his maybe the, I mean I haven't watched the whole thing. I couldn't I can't stomach all this stuff. No, me um, neither. I was just like it's, nah, but I, it's 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 this we these weird sort of coincidences that make it so it's about uh quotes from Julian of Norwich describing her her version of Jesus. Um, but they they mess up the quote, so it's it's part of the Royal UK website that's messing up the quote. So this is what one of the weird things. But there's all this Jewitic symbolism in there with the white robes and crowns of leaves, and with the echo of the Hebrew tabernacle. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people want to go through it. It's really worth the read. <laughs> Stay. I like it. But I'm here for the regular segment that we seem to be having about Darren and his guns. We needed like a rat-a-tat-tat jingle or something like that. <laughs> what? Uh, I wonder if Felix still listens. I, I haven't heard from him in a long time. Was, I could just like... Uh, you know, what just do a pew pew. It could just be no, pew no, no, pew. No, no. Yeah, I'll be right back. You say something. Keep talking. Okay, I'll keep talking. Yeah. So I'll just keep talking. I'll read some more of like Naomi Wolf's stuff there. Oh, oh, Darren's back already. Are right, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. How's that? That's pretty rat a tat tat. <laughs> That's my BB gun, but it doesn't have any BBs in it. So oh, I want to talk to you about that. CO2. I think that's my solution. What solution to what? To the birds? Get a BB gun. For the birds? What? For protection. What? Yeah, it'll hurt people enough to... Make, what is Dude, it? no. You have to be... I mean, do I need a, do I need a permit for that? Do I need a permit for that? I mean, even just having a... I mean, it, it, looks, it looks scary, right? You can get up to 500 feet per second without a permit. Yeah, then why don't I just do that? This one, they say, is yeah. 590 feet per second. <laughs> but, I mean, that looks like a real gun, dude. I mean, if if, you, if somebody, if you started rat-a-tat-tatting that and somebody, they're, they're not going to stick around to see whether it's a real one or not. In it and what? You, if you had a fresh cartridge and some pellets in it, you would it would fucking hurt if you got shot in the face with it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Any place in the body you can absorb pretty easy. I mean, you can abs probably absorb a half dozen 22 shots. I I could, yeah, especially right now. You could absorb a dozen, depending on where they hit you. Anyway, so you want to hear? I, I want to hear the story. story. Okay. Well, the I don't want to get. Yeah, we're going to do the full Monty right now. We got lots Monty. of time. Yeah. Well. I'm kind of looking at a, a seriously looking at a lawsuit, so I don't know how much I want to say. Well, you, 
But I definitely okay. Well, here let's say this. All right, fuck it. So I you can just tell the story, right? Right. I just yeah, I was out shooting, and I have maybe some magazines that the pins fell out of. We'll say that. So they're not like they're supposed to be pinned at five. So because in Canada you still buy the thirty round mags, like the exact same mags you get in the states. But they put a pin in, so you can't put any more than five bullets. Because that was a rule in 1995 when the Firearms Act came in. Oh, that's what an extended mag is? It's not even an extended mag. I misspoke when I said extended. It's just a standard mag because those are pinned mags. Well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, from a Canadian perspective, I guess it would be <laughs> extended. But they're prohibited in Canada anyway. So, and then I... May or may not have been shooting one of my handguns in the bush, which is also. So you didn't just have it on you. You might have been doing other things with it. I know. When he came around the corner, we were shooting. <laughs> I, I just I have a hard time imagining somebody like shooting that one of the girls was shooting. So it was like, you know, a very chill setting. But buddy was like ramped right up. Um, Started yelling right away. Move on the ground. Uh, not not us, but all the weapons and put us away and took it. And then of course he starts looking at the magazines and takes those. And he so like, he took. Did he take all your guns right away? No, just the pistol and the and the mag. Okay. Mag. Okay. And. Uh, and then I was like, I was, he was like talking about the cops are coming out there and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I, I thought for sure I was going to end up, I was going to court at a minimum. Maybe jail? Nah, not jail. Nah, it would be a summons to appear because I don't have a criminal record or anything like that. I'm a law abiding citizen. <laughs> so, like I have a background check run on me every every morning with my with my with my restricted firearms license, so they know I'm I'm fairly upstanding citizen. So they just give me a court date and probably take the pistol. And I don't know that's what I wasn't sure was if they were going to take all my guns or not. But uh, when we went back the second time to go grab some of the other people's IDs, I was like, well, just so you know, like my stance is that these fucking laws don't apply to me period full stop because i'm an indian just doesn't doesn't matter it's, it's doesn't affect me and i have a lawyer and i'll pay and you know i'm willing to basically insinuate that i'm not going to roll over and i'm going to challenge whatever happens here in court to the full extent and then after that he went and like he went and Radio. He was on the radio for a while, and uh, he's like, "I got this rogue Indian guy here." Yeah, well, he was radioing the RCMP detachment. At a, what was was he RCMP? No, he was uh, Fish and Wildlife. Oh, okay, okay. I should have known that. I can't picture the, how this happens, honestly. So then, when he when he uh, when he comes back. He's like, uh, under the direction of the chief RCMP officer, Cochran, I think. 
I can give you a couple options. We can either charge this broad that was holding the gun when I came here with this and that, but then they'll probably seize the firearm, and we don't want that. We don't want this paper trail, you know? And then he's like, or, you know, he gave this other. I can't remember what option two was, but it was a little less. I think option two was, uh, I can't remember what option two was, but then option three was, he's like, or I could just uh, fine you for driving your truck off the road here, you know, just so that there's like a paper record of this incident. And, you know, and he's like, you're driving off the road, only a $300 fine. It's a provincial thing. It's like, no big deal. You just pay the fine. No big deal. You guys go split it. And then he's like, oh, you know what? As I'm like, just as I'm saying that out loud, I realize that I can't do that because you're an Indian and not an Indian. He said indigenous. <laughs> And under the treaty, blah blah blah, you're allowed to drive your truck wherever you want when it when it's on public line when it comes to the bush. You know, like even if there's a sign that says you can't go here if it's a crown land, crown road, I can fucking go there hunting. Um, so he's like, ah, so I can't, I can't do that. So he's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll charge this white girl. <laughs> Who's, that. Is that your? Is no, that no, it's not Shauna. I I recommended maybe just charging Shauna, then I'd pay her ticket, but it's my truck, so he can't do that. But Miles's girl was there with her vehicle, so he's like, "Oh, well, I'll give I'll give her the ticket, and then you just get all your stuff back, and you guys can just you know go home." And uh, so I'm like, "All right, whatever," and that's great. Sounds so that what you better. picked option three? <laughs> it was better than what was happened a minute ago, right? So then he like uh, he's like, "You guys can go pack up all your stuff. It's it's fine." I won't give you your pistol back until you're packed up and ready to go because uh, just for my own safety. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I'm like, huh? So we go and pack up all our stuff and uh, we're getting really, when he comes over and he brings over the ticket and he starts reading what the ticket says. And it just, it's like garbled. And it's like for parking on an officer, this or that or something. He's like, oh man, he's like, I fucked this all or not fucked it all up, but he's like, I did this wrong. And, oh, and so he's like, ah, I'll just gonna rip it up. So he just, he just rips it up, goes over and gives me my shit back, including prohibited, prohibited, prohibited by law magazines. And just sends me on my way. And I'm like, you know me, I can't just leave it alone. I'm just like, there's a fucking reason that that all happened. There's a reason that there's no, because, you know, my understanding is that that kind of shit don't happen. You know, they, they don't like that kind of shit. But well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Well, like those, those magazines and stuff like that are taken pretty seriously. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So, um, for the conversational purposes, I repin them. Let's say when I got home, I repinned the magazine so they're legal again, just in case. But uh, because. We'll get to that later because I'm like, well, is it this? Is it the Alberta thing? Because Alberta's pushing back. But the RCMP don't work for Alberta. So why the fuck? I just can't leave alone. Why? So this you're with him like, talking now? Or? No, I'm gone. I'm gone. Oh, I'm you're gone. gone okay. I just can't like, I can't just let it rest on why I got away with this. But I feel like it's got something to do with being Indian. You know? And uh, because everything was in... Until I the con I mentioned lawyers and Indians, so I got home and I start searching, 
And sure enough, um, when the when the articles when Bill C sixty eight was introduced and voted on in in nineteen ninety five, they didn't go through the proper channels. And there's like, so oh, you know what? I should just so that I don't fuck it up. Do you want me to read it? I've got it here. Do you have the whole thing? Yeah, the big one is probably going to blow the entire act out of the water the first time it is used by a lawyer representing an Aboriginal person, that thing. No, that's not... Uh, when the government negotiated the James Bay Treaty. Goes back. Yeah, that's part of it, but I only sent you a snippet of it. I didn't do, send you the Do you want me to read this part thing. and then you can fill in what I'd miss? No, because I don't really know it here. I got it here. Uh... Oh, maybe it does. That probably is the whole thing that you've got there, actually. So when the government negotiated the James Bay Treaty with the Aboriginal peoples, one of the provisions was that the treaty would become a part of the Constitution of Canada. Therefore, any violations of the terms of that treaty are unconstitutional, and legislation enacted while violating that treaty is void from its day of birth. The treaty requires that any legislation that will have any effect on Aboriginal hunting must be presented to and scrutinized by a council set up by the treaty itself before being presented to Parliament for action. That was not done. Although C-68 clearly does heavily affect Aboriginal hunting, during the House committee hearings on C-68, Reform MPN justice critic Jack Ramsey brought that out very clearly. The government admitted that it had not done what the treaty required. Liberal Chairman Warren Alman refused to allow the committee to drop the consideration of Bill C-68 for unconstitutionality, and the committee's liberal majority voted to ignore the entire problem. <laughs> this was an incredible demonstration of arrogance, in- ignorance, and incompetence. It's going to come back to haunt the liberals. The first time an Aboriginal person is set up on charges under any provision of C-68, his lawyer is going to be able to claim that C-68 was never legally before the House, therefore could never have been legally enacted, and it is therefore null and void in its entirety. I do wonder what the Supreme Court of Canada will do with that mess. So I like, that's that's what I was finding in a few spots. So I was like tugging on that and I keep tugging. So I'm like, well, this is worth putting an email together that includes all this stuff and an accusation that me as an indigenous person have been personally slighted by this legislation, especially by recent additions to it because all the new gun bans, handgun freezes, all of that is based on this. There's amendments to that act. So <laughs> that goes, it all goes. So um, I was like, oh, it's worth sending out some emails just to see what sticks. So I emailed the chief firearms officer of Alberta. Let's you know, my name is Darren Grimes. I mean, I could, I basically copy pasted a bunch of that stuff from in that thing because of this treaty and blah, blah, blah. And these guys already said this and, I took out the parts about it uh, when the Supreme Court, blah, 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 what it's going to do with it. And I just left yeah. that because facts, of these yeah. fucking treaty violations and these people already talked about it and the liberals already admitted to it. 
Now I can't fucking do A, B, and C, and I don't even have access anymore. I don't and here's the thing. You can't bring a handgun to protect yourself from a bear in the bush. Yeah. This is the, like, I was going to get back to context a little bit for the American friends and other people around the world that are listening where you can't even go hunting with a handgun as protection. Because a lot of people, I'm sure in America, they have their rifles and shit, and they also have a handgun in case something runs up on you, right? Yeah, that, and I, you know, my angle is just firearms, right? So, uh, at the end of the day, but yeah, that, yeah. sure, let's call it that. So, I I put the email together, I sent it to our buddies over at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms in Canada, because I made a few contacts over there, over all the COVID stuff, and I sent it to, the what was the other one? The I NFA member... Oh yeah, and then I sent it to the uh, I sent it to the contact box of the Canadian National Firearms Association, and then to the um, of the Crown Indigenous Relations and Northern Affairs Canada to the Assessment Investigation Department. And I wasn't expecting to really hear back from anyone, but I heard back from everyone. Except the chief firearms officer is the only one I've heard. That's pretty back fast. Back from yet. I heard back from some, I heard back from the lawyer within fifteen minutes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so uh, do I have the I thought I did. I thought I had them all in here. I didn't have that one. Okay, let me find it. Okay, but the other thing I want to ask you is like because I have a, a hard time picturing how this happens in the bush. So what do you, you, you guys are, he's seen, you guys so, are out, so you're out there and like going far into the bush to shoot guns and stuff like that, right? To be safe, you go out there to shoot or hunt or whatever. And you have these fishing wildlife rangers roaming around looking for people that are breaking gun laws, like, or fishing licenses and all. They're doing, they're just said, go, yeah, roaming around the woods checking on everybody. Yeah, he said he was there because it's, he was going to tell us we couldn't be parked where we were parked. He couldn't oh see my, my truck, but he could like, see her truck. Oh. So that's why he came over. And then, blah, blah, blah. so anyway, I sent my email to the JCCF, including my interpretations, right? So I added my stuff at the end that basically said my current interpretation is that the Firearms Act of Canada is unconstitutional. And at a minimum, does not apply to status Indians. What are your thoughts? And uh, 15 minutes later, <laughs> I got, Hi, Darren, I've read your email with great interest. I would like to get additional information on your particular circumstance in order to provide a more informed opinion. I would be interested in, one, exploring the constitutionality of the legislation, and two, considering whether you have treaty rights trumping this legislation. If you're interested in prime, blah, 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 we'll get the paralegal, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, I said, yes, I was. And now uh, they're going to get back to me in a couple of days and book a call because they've got a couple of paralegals that are getting some information together to see what sort of a case we have. If we nice. have. Yeah, yeah. And then when I let the the national firearms people know that because I'd already kind of talked to them and let them know what was going on and what I thought. And they're like, listen, buddy, I agree with you. But to take on the government, you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars and years and years and years and just perpetual blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was like, well, I think 
you know, I, I was talking to some people over at the Justice Center, and it seems like they're interested in maybe doing it. And then, like, if you already discussed this with the JCCF, we would definitely be interested in participating in that conversation. <laughs> so you understand there could be some legal jeopardy for yourself in pursuing something like this. What does that ultimately mean? affect the status of your firearms license? I don't know. I bounce that back off the lawyers. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, political persecution. If they'll come back after me for this incident or find another reason oh, to try yeah. to take my guns, which I don't shut think the, they shut can the podcast do down. Being an Indian. Please let us know what your plans with the JCCF are so with this so that we can determine how Canada's National Armed Fire Firearms Association might assist. Blair Hagen, Executive Vice President, Canadian Firearms National or Canadian National Firearms Association. And then the one I sent to the Crown Services took about 45 minutes before they got back to me and said that. Thanks for contacting the allegations and complaints often of Crown Indigenous Relations in Northern Affairs Canada and Indigenous Services Canada. Please note that your concerns have been forwarded to the right personnel in the Aboriginal Treaty or Treaty Aboriginal Government for their response. So all of them were pretty responsive right away. I was quite surprised. I, I don't know if I'll hear from the Chief Firearms Officer or not. But uh, as of now, as it stands, I'm going to work on maybe trying to challenge that that Bill C-68 has unfairly affected my indigenous rights to protect yourself for hunting, etc. I think you got to frame it all as hunting. So it's affecting my access for hunting and blah, blah, blah. But the ultimate goal would be, of course, to have it thrown out for being unconstitutional. That's the angle. That's the top priority that I'm talking about with the lawyer right now. Is that yeah. that'd be the number one goal is to have it completely thrown out. But I mean, they trampled all over the constitution for the last three years. I mean, they don't give a fucking shit what's in, the, in that, in that constitution, right? They don't. No, they don't. But, but I mean, if you can get the ax thrown out, like a lot of that happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Later. So we'll see. Yeah. What so would you, would you be able to get some sort of or thing maybe, for you only? Like, would you be able to get some special permission for yourself, or would you want to get the whole? No, act? I would, it would either be Indians or the whole act. Yeah, the whole act. Be, yeah. You know, unless they pulled me aside and were like, "Hey, man, hey, we'll be, you know, here's a special <laughs> <But> permit." <laughs> well, I was thinking if there's any way I could go after him for damages, but yeah, I know. I was just thinking that too. I can't think of how to how to pull any money on it, out of it. You know what I mean? I can't think of how to phrase it so that they have to pay me money because of how, how I was financially or, you know. Well, I mean, it would be the people that, you know, were killed that weren't able to protect themselves kind of thing. It would seem now, something like that. That's not an option. Well, because of another bill? Because of the treaties. All my argument is all based on treaties. So but don't fire, you have a right to protect yourself from the no. treaties? No, what? I don't think so. Really? I just have a right to have firearms. And and the main catch is that those no I mean, they probably could have asked all the council Indians and the Indians would have said, No problem, you can do that. We're fine with it. The thing is that they didn't. And maybe the Indians wouldn't. I mean, from what I've heard now, I've started looking back into it. 
it seems like there was a lot of protesting about it at the time and stuff like that. Oh, so interesting. They didn't want to open up another can of worms. They exactly. just want to slide it through, yeah. But I'm going to go after them. Because that would have caused the whole media storm and then everybody would have been all over them for it. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's fucking weird. And now that the some pretty high up people in, in the in the legal and gun worlds specifically constitutional legality are pretty interested in it right away. Like I didn't have to wait a week or two for a reply. It was like, boom, That's well, crazy. what are you talking about? What do you That's got? Crazy. Yeah. We, you should, I mean, that would be some pretty good activism right there, especially cause you know, we don't really, none of us really agree with, you know, that bill and what they're doing. So, and it's interesting because they're going to come after them more. I mean, look what's happening in the States with the guns, right? So it's interesting timing for that as well. Yeah, man. I like the idea of, uh, I'd love whatever I can do, you know, it'll be fun. I think, if, you know, if I, cause I'm not really going to do anything, honestly, it's got nothing to do with fucking me. I'm just the dude who's going to, I don't know, maybe light the match. Because it's going to come down to lawyers that know what the fuck they're talking about. I don't know any, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be on the stand saying shit. It's going to be people a lot smarter than me who know the rules a lot, laws a lot smarter than I am and can, um, you know. But then you need someone, you know, you need a litigant or whatever, right? You need, you need a, whatever it would be called. You need the dude to be versus the crown. Uh, interesting how they how they let this thing go too, right? I mean, would need to be an Indian. Yeah. In this but interesting how they wouldn't touch thing. it. They, like the head of the RCP goes, well, no, 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 don't, don't, uh, don't open this can of worms. Just let the guy well, go. I don't know what was said. I don't know what was. Well, said. you can imagine it was like you know, no, we're not. You know, so the other thing I didn't mention is that so after he came back, did I tell you that he said it was it was not in public. Not in public interest to charge me with anything. <laughs> so that phrase, not in the public interest, came up like seven times at more after that. Between in the last 20 minutes, that not in the public interest came up over and over and over. And it didn't get mentioned at all. Like it shouldn't even that. matter about the public. Well, right? I don't know. That's I don't know what, I mean, what is the public in the what's in the what's the public's best interest. Where did that come from? But he got someone he talked to on the phone said that. Yeah, because he picked that up from them, and then he was yeah. like parroting it. I don't <laughs> who knows what the fuck was going on. But like, I just don't. I mean, I understand. I understand why they would say that. It's not in the public interest for this to get out of control. I mean, I think that's. What it is, but it's just very strange—a strange way to put it, right? It's not in the public interest. Like, well, it is actually in the public interest for this to get out, you know. But I don't know. My thought is it probably comes up here and there, but yeah, maybe people would just be like, "Whew, that was close," and shut the fuck up. But uh, I'm an idiot, so I've decided to rumble this motherfucker as best I can and see what comes out. I mean, it might be nothing. It could They could call me next week and say, nah, man, this is crazy. Yeah. But everyone seems pretty interested right now. Well, it's that's what I mean. It's the timing because there, there's rumors about them going after the guns again. There was that stuff that came up, what, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it. Yeah, if I could even gum it all up for a while 
you know, and those are the people that have well, the money to keep it tied up in court. Here's what, what about you being harassed at the border? Well, that's going to come then, up next because now every, once I have the active lawsuit going, then every time something happens, I'm going to. Yeah, but you're, you're already being harassed. I mean, don't you need some compensation for being harassed at the border just for trying to legally bring that, a gun across? That's a good point. Fucking rights. They're hassling. Social embarrassment. I should, I should go for fucking half a million. There you go. I'll see what the lawyers say. They're not really that kind of lawyers. Do they get money for people? I don't care about money. That's the thing. You'll be like, know. look, I'm marked as an Indian because I'm trying to bring a gun legally across this border. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I want to get into all that. I just want to fucking get some gun rights for everybody, or at least myself and my Indian brothers. Man, you've got war in the heart. Because I feel like if if they end up having gun rights back to a bunch of fucking Indians, then the rest of the country ain't going to take that line down either. You know what I mean? Everyone's going to be like, what the fuck? And then, you know, it's just going to be hard to do anything again. And it's going to become a huge election item. And I just love to see it. Let's just go to Rebel News right now. Dude, if you can get me fucking, I won't say what I talked. I mean, I'm not interested in saying what I said on the podcast on national television. I don't think they're not really on national television, I guess. But I would be fun, uh, hunky dory to talk about everything else, you know, the treaties and everything that you were reading and all that stuff. But wait until I talk to the lawyer. Yeah. You just send them all that info, though. No, well, let's talk after you talk to the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. We should see what they say first. This might have already been a huge mistake. <laughs> what? <laughs> no one's listening. Anyway, support the show, gramerica.ca slash support. Uh, if you can, when you can, maybe for legal bills. We'll see. I'm hoping it doesn't cost me anything. It shouldn't cost me anything. You know, those guys just do stuff for free. Seems like that. So anyway, support the show. We can't do without you. It's great content, I think. Who else is actively fucking fighting the government as hard as we are? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Speaking of which, you got to go back down over the border. Is it all willy-nilly now? You're good to go? No problem? Is it open? I don't know. I thought it was over. Well, I thought it was too, but then some people say that the CDC has some weird bivalent thing from, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. What? Well, it did seem like there was some that said air travel for now and land travel was was still like indefinite. Oh, fuck. I don't know. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm I'm jabbed. I've had this thing. I've had this thing. No adverse effects. We're all jabbed now. Bingo, bango. All right, brother. What else? Eli. Eli. I got some synchronicities, my own personal slew of little mini synchros, but I'll save it for next show. Next intro. Yeah, yeah. Give us the bio. So Eli Coberly is a world traveler and seeker of truth through adventure. At 17, he left his small Pacific Northwest town to fulfill his dream of becoming an army paratrooper. At 20, he was honorably discharged and began his search for a new dream. His writing has taken him worldwide to explore a few of the bigger questions of our human existence. And his prophetic worldview combines military service, counterculture, and the anthropology and archaeology of the world's religious symbols. A yoga therapist, he's a student of yoga for over a decade. 
While he isn't writing or practicing, Yogi can be found examining Tibetan Buddhist tradition, sitting in ceremony with Maya priests and traversing caves in the deep and the Belize jungle. Oh, sounds fun. He, he currently resides in Northern California. There you go. Enjoy this chat, eh? Enjoy the chat with Eli Coberly. And the next little uh, intro, the next little bit will be. Um, All right. Good thing yeah. you remembered. What's his name again? Um, John D. Herrera about the Article 5. There's a little clip in there of him. Update with John and then Eli Coberly. So enjoy the chat, guys. Support the show. And uh, tell us what you think. John D. Herrera, thanks for yeah. uh, thanks for coming in on to talk about this uh, your passion project. Yeah, the passion project. <laughs> uh, the passion project is all about the people who are alive today, who are kind of stumbling over the need to act, and would like to participate in something meaningful. That it's kind of developed into that. And uh, it's been a number of years that I've been politically and legally activating for the Article 5 Convention. Uh, It's this provision in the Constitution that allows the people who were alive at the time to come together and say, hey, does anyone got a good idea? And, uh, you know, of course, the powers that be, they don't want a convention. So they've been preventing a convention for many years now. and that's why things look so screwed up today is because the uh, the states are being denied this discussion, i.e. the people alive today are being denied the discussion. So uh, I was co-founder of a national group with Tom Brennan, who's a former chief justice from the state of Michigan, and uh, Bill Walker, journalist, Eagle Scout, constitutional scholar guy. And we co-founded Friends of the Article 5 Convention, and uh, we went on to go into the congressional records and show that the states have satisfied this clause, but were just being held hostage by the Congress. That said, there are now more Americans than ever aware of this provision, Yep. and they're looking at the government today, and they're saying, hey, you know what? A convention can't be scarier than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, wasn't there, you know, wasn't there some right? headway? Like, wasn't there some headway a, a few months back with somebody else doing it? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of plot points, a lot of plot points in this, a lot of people coming online to this idea and what's going on. And uh, so, so I think I think we're there, the tipping point. And you know, the, the tipping point principle is that once something becomes cognizant in the population at large that it automatically spills over. Right. And, um, and so I think they, I think the folks in power know, and they, there are, there are many plot points I can explain, you know, maybe the later show, if you want to go in depth on it, but uh, they, they know a convention's coming. And uh, so one of the ways to help keep the pressure on and to help despair, dispel, the uh the fears of a convention because there's a lot of americans that are getting drummed in their head day and night like oh my god we can't have this convention it's going to blow up the constitution right we don't have people smart enough for that that's the dumbest thing ever right but really uh a convention is just a non-binding deliberative assembly and it's just formally discussing our situation rather than uh informally discussing it on facebook comment section. right yeah yeah 
And so, so all that said, uh, so Tom and Bill passed away with COVID and I said, well, everything's done online. Let's just have an online convention. So I had someone build a website for me. I, I paid the bulletin software, which is very widely known software and they've perfected it. It can handle millions of, uh, users, et cetera. That's locked in a cloud. So there, there's going to be no advertising, no phishing, no flashing memes, none of that stuff. And uh, this is an opportunity for any American who cares to, to lead by example. You know, we're being denied a convention. So let's just do it online and let's just, let's, uh, you know, and I'll, of course I'll leave it on the internet. And it'll be a testament to say, this is what this thing is. And it is actually what we ought to be doing as a society and civilization because everyone you know, nine out of 10 people understand that things are concerning. Yeah. So how did people get a hold of you for this? So the domain is article V convention.org article V convention.org. And the splash page has a little bit of text that I had up there in a while, but I haven't been able to get someone to, to change it for me. So uh, but there's a splash page with information, and then in, in the uh, uh, top right-hand corner, it'll say forums. So you click on the forums, that takes you into the cloud. And then in the top right-hand corner of that, it'll say uh, sign up or log in. And you uh, sign up and log in. Now, on, on the forum, if anyone goes to the forum, there's a, uh, a post in there now that says, please declare yourself a delegate. And you'll see uh, we just had a new delegate uh, volunteer today. And so there's 16 on there now. We just need 50. You know, the the number 50 is kind of arbitrary, but I just think, you know, 50 Americans uh, talking about amendment language, that should be legitimate. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, of course, we'd like more than 50. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be historic. And not because I say it's going to be historic. It's because it is going to be historic. It's never been done. We've never got a group of Americans together to be, you know, sober and serious and say, what's a good amendment? Oh, you know, you don't like that part. What can we do? You know, and just go through that deliberative process to the point that the delegates realize, yeah, uh, we talked about everything. I make a motion to adjourn. Yeah. And then the convention adjourns and that's never been done before. Well, I hope so because it could, you know, it could we could see some real change from that. Well, you know, if you go, if you, you know, there's the uh, the metaphor. If you were a visitor from another galaxy and you rolled up on Earth, uh, that metaphor. If you look down on it on the global stage, America's a premier player, and if you change the dialogue of that character, that changes human civilization. Yep. Well, thanks for so, the update, anyway, John. So, yeah, thanks for the update. Well, uh, I'll put the yeah, link. I'll put the yeah, link to that in the show notes, and uh, yeah, appreciate it. Okay, excellent. I totally appreciate it. And if you, if you guys want to uh, do a deep dive on the thing, there's there are some really fascinating plot points to this whole thing, and uh, some really inter interesting information. Uh, and so, I'd be happy to come on again before May 25th if, if, if you guys feel like. All right, buddy. I don't think we're gonna have time before May 25th, but maybe we'll do it after that. Okay. All right, buddy. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time, and I hope you guys have a great show. Thanks, buddy.
Thanks, okay, John. we'll be in touch. We'll keep in touch. All right. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay. All right. Aloha. Eli Coberly, welcome to Grand America. How's it going? I'm good, Graham. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun. I just I just finished reading a book on uh, uh, from 1885. It was a scientific. It was really a scientific book on uh, vanished races. It's called uh, Prehistoric World Vanished Races. And oh, there was sounds- a couple huge chapters on what you talk about in your book, like on. Uh, what would you call it? Central America, I guess, Mexico, you know? Um, so good timing for me to read your book after sort of getting like an old, old scientific view of that area. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. I found some actually in Central America um, in this library. Oh, really? Other books? Yeah, like a lot of Mormon books and things like that, or books about travelers that you wouldn't think um, or wouldn't know about. How how old do you think they would be? Those books. Um, a lot, a lot of them were. I'd say there was seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. They were really? just kind of yeah. In Chiapas, Mexico, there's a library that belongs to these uh, archaeologists, and they had all sorts of stuff in there. But I haven't read that book. I know it's probably like the antediluvian kind of thing. Uh, goes back to Atlantis or something, maybe. No, it's no, it's super, it's super mainstream. Like it's. Yeah. I I would say, I mean, that's why I kind of found it interesting is they talk about the mound builders and how extensive they go into, like it's a hundred and something pages on mound builders. And then uh, they go into the Mayan and, and the, uh, the Nahua tribes and the Aztecs. And they spend quite a bit of time in central and North America. Um, mm-hmm. But they, but they're, they're The sense is that I got is that they, they got a lot of the cultural stuff wrong, but they, they also kind of didn't treat them. They knew how massive these civilizations were, all the ruins that mm-hmm. they're that they were finding, but they they didn't really go into too much detail on that because it was just all like they're they were constantly finding stuff, I guess, which is kind of the feeling I got from your book as well, that there's just so much there. Yeah, I mean, even like Chichen Itza, one of the most famous uh places, it has what like seventy percent still uncovered or something? Yeah, so there's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff they just don't have the time or the funding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you go out? Is there spots like where you can go out and just explore on your own kind of thing and, and find stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could. I, I've been to a lot of places like when I went out to um, El Mirador in the jungle in Paten region in Guatemala, north northeast. Um, it's by Tikal. That's one of the famous places. But it's way out. I mean, it's right on the border of Mexico, Guatemala. So um, I saw a lot of places that were looted. You know, you just see a mound and then a hole that goes right in the middle of the mound. And people know, you know, this could have the burial. That's what they're looking for is all the loot. So, um, but yeah, you could just go in any direction in Guatemala, northwest, northeast Guatemala, and you could probably find a lot. So how long have you been traveling around that area? Because you've been sort of going all over the world, right? Yeah, um, it's been since 2010, that area. But I, I guess the first pyramid I went to was 2006. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, fifteen years or so. Yeah. So what what decide what made you decide to write a book about all this? Um. Well, let's see. I was into yoga, and I I was into the reason why people do yoga. So I I, I love mythology, and I love archaeology, and I love anthropology. So I figured, well, why are people doing yoga? And then, what is what is the reason behind this? vanishing civilization like the maya of central america like why you know what how did they vanish and then i found out they didn't vanish at all they were just subjugated and um kind of like dispersed and brought into culture up to speed with the colonialism so to speak so i i mean i got into it just because i was curious and fascinated about the story of humans and and um otherworldly things i was in, i was always into like uh, mysteries and mythology. I mean, I love the X Files. I watched that when I was a kid growing up. So all anything that's unexplained, I love. So you decided to uh, put all that together and put it into a book. Yeah, I mean, I wanted like when I went to the pyramids, I, I felt the energy that I thought was like Kundalini. Like they have the experience of you know the energy rising up through your spine, and and when I went to the pyramids, I felt that. I felt this tangible energy and I had read books about it. And um, I thought, well, yoga isn't limited to the far East and uh, maybe there's something to this. And so I wanted to know, um, I also knew that they were studying opposites like masculine, feminine, or, or they were sort of talking about the heart a lot. And I thought, well, this is, has to do with yoga too. You know, they talk about, about these qualities within the self and, um, I was just going through a discovery of myself after I got into yoga and, and I wanted to have a reason and a story behind why people uh, relate the way they do, like, you know, the sexes and, and the sort of imbalances and all these kind of things and the world. It, there's a lot to it, you know, and I, I just had time on my hands, honestly, and I wanted to jump into something mysterious and helpful. <laughs> which, which pyramids were those that you start in 2006? Uh, the first one I went to was Caracol in, in Belize. And um, that's like if you go to Belize City, you just head west and go towards the border of Guatemala. Um, and that that's like uh, Caracol means snail, but it's really about the spiral and the, the concept of time. And so, you know, cyclical time as opposed to linear. Um, but I, I went to, I think I've been to 100 Maya sites now. So I've been to most of them. This have you drive a car? Like, do you just rent a car and drive around to these places when you go, or how are you doing this most of the time? Yeah. So the first one that I went to, I I went to a psychic, and they said, "Oh, go to Central America and check out these places." I said, "Okay, why not?" You know. 
And um, so I followed, I, I read this book, uh, I forget what, Serpent of Light, it was called by Drumvolo Melchizedek. I knew you were going to mention that book. I, oh, really? I thought of that book while I was, while I was uh, reading yours. I thought this oh, sounds good. like the Serpent of Light. Yeah, it was a huge inspiration. So I was, I actually followed his trail and his ideas. And then I, you know, once I got into what he was about, I was like, whoa, some of this stuff is like cultish and weird. But what I did was it just, it gave me a chance to explore it. So I, I, I got in a rental car that first time that I went by myself. I, I went to a couple places like with my wife and stuff back in the day. But the first time by myself, I, I went to seven sites and I brought all these crystals and put one in each site and did a meditation. And, you know, it was like the seven chakras, like in his book. And I thought that that's a cool way to explore it. But I rented a car and got in there and drove as fast as I could to all the different sites because I only had 10 days. And so I, you know, eight to 10 days, I think. And it, it was a long period, but I, it included Palenque and up north in, in the Yucatan and all these other places. Um, uh, Labna, uh, Ushmal and all these. Let's see. I'm trying to remember the other ones, but there's about seven or 10 I went to. How would you do it now if you went back? Like, how would how would you suggest we do it? Oh well, I mean, now I have a a trip planned in May, and I'm going to the Yusimacinta uh, River. It's on Guatemala, Mexico, northwest um, Guatemala in the jungle there. But I, if if you're to do it, I would go to Palenque. That's my favorite site of all. Um, and I would fly into Veracruz or uh, Via Hermosa, actually. Um, and then it's which the which country is Palenque in again? Palenque is in Chiapas in Mexico, the state right. of Chiapas. And um, that's in the jungle. That's the one, like, if you go to Ancient Aliens, you'll see on Ancient Aliens, uh, Pakal's sarcophagus and the rocket ship idea and all this. That's where that's at. And that's where you would go. But would you, would you, would you do, like, a tour? Like, if you were us, would you do a tour around these things, or how would you do some of these? Yeah, I would get in the car, and I would get – or shuttle and I would go to Palenque. I'd stay there a couple of days and um, check it all out um, because there's lots of other stuff going on, you know, and um, the museum is one of the the coolest museums that they have of any of the sites, I'd say. I'd stay there a couple of days, then I'd go and I'd go to Yaschulan and I'd go to Bonamapak and I would go to uh, Piedras Negras, where I'm headed this time um, in May. And they're all along the river. So you, the cool adventure is you, get in the car, you go to Palenque, you check it out for a couple of days and then you, you can get on a boat and there's crocodiles and, you know, and it's rough rapids and they, they're, you're going up river. It's pretty adventure. Like, and then you go to these runes that are just seemingly like, you know, out of nowhere, they come up and all of a sudden you're like, get off the boat and then you go into the jungle and there they are. So it's really adventurous and more than like, if you go to Cancun and go to Chichen Itza, that's like, full of people and sometimes there's no one at any of these sites at all yeah you get to go inside them yeah there's some um like in uh uh yes Chilan, there's a big tunnel they have like the corbel archways and so you could just go in there and it's actually like a maze underneath the whole system it's like a like a cave system like underneath the pyramid and that's really cool do they have any sort of chambers or anything resembling the pyramids in egypt um, well, that in Palenque, it's, you know, how the, like the Sphinx and uh, the plateau Giza has those three pyramids that are lined up like, uh, Orion and Orion's belt. 
so those are like the stars m42 constellation that in palenque in the cross group behind the main plaza is um lined up the same way has the same cosmology built into it did you get the sense then that that this was also antediluvial or 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 like old as as old as egypt or yeah um, from a time scale type thing yeah absolutely i mean that if you think about like one, how it's built, it, it lines up the same as the constellation, but also they're referring to certain gods, um, and and they're also referring to a time period in pre-dynastic Egypt, which is, right, it's, you know, the beginning of the Maya calendar is pre-dynastic Egypt. And so that's right around the time where they were sort of playing with all these same concepts in their cosmology. And they're also talking about, like, um, the, the Hearthstone uh, cosmology is sort of like the three um, the three stones where they cook their tortillas is representing the center of the universe, which is also the three stars that are in the Orion's constellation that they look up to. So I think, and also if you look in uh, the cross group further into all the glyphs and everything, they're really alluding to to time travel and to things of other worlds. And um, I would say that it's very very hearkening to Atlantis and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that resonated with your book, I mean, is just that like, you know, that how, how massive this ancient culture is. I still don't think we really understand it. Even from an alternative media perspective, I still don't think we really have our heads wrapped around how, how important that was. And also the, you know, the importance of, of death, you know, or the, or the lack of, our, our fear of death, I guess, in, in our culture, you know, and, um, and then I want to talk about like, you know, the, the culture that you figure the ancient culture versus kind of like the culture that we destroyed through colonialism kind of thing, you know? Yeah. You I mean, view shifts along that way. Yeah. I mean, it, so like when I, I was following this, the Khan dynasty, which is like this puppet rulership um, of people from like, Teotihuacan in Mexico City, where they have that Avenue of the Dead and the Pyramid of the Sun and the Moon. So I was following it in 2016. They uncovered all these rulers that were Khan rulers, and Khan means serpent in Maya or Mayan language. So um, I wanted to study this the serpent cosmology and the and the glyphs around the serpent. And um, it happened to be that I was wondering about creationism and Christianity and all this and. And right around that time, I'd already went to the place where they they put the lidar, um, in like they fly over and they put the lidar down there, and then they beam up the lasers and they can tell like okay what who is living here in the jungle, how many people, and they found that there's like a million people. So this is no small civilization, and um, th- certainly they they had the ability to travel and and all those sort of things. Um, but yeah, I think there was a lot of uh, keep me on track too because i'll sort of space off and you know yeah no problem like ask me the question again or something yeah 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 well i mean i think i got the sense that you you know you thought that they came over across the atlantic at some point um i don't know if if you mentioned they're traveling back and forth but um i guess just the extensiveness of of the central american culture see i don't even know how to talk about it because 
I get mixed up with the map of because so much of this is in Mexico too that I yeah. I have a hard time. I wanted to try and think of how to express this to you because I was thinking uh, you know about the show and how I've got this map of North America stuck in my head where we're in Canada and then we have the states and that's all like I grew up just thinking this is like you know Western civilization like and Mexico is is part of that but just sort of poor different type of thing but those borders really don't exist in this ancient culture like came all the way up to, I mean, maybe even like you mentioned the Chaco Canyon, that kind of stuff. It, it, it kind of goes all the way down through Central America. Right. And I don't know what, how, like what the, where the boundaries are for those cultures, like the Maya and the Aztecs and, and the, you know. Yeah. I mean, they they, it's proven they migrated to Chaco Canyon. There was Quetzal feathers from the jungles of Central America that, that bird with the colorful feathers like and there was also uh the spirals everyone had spirals like so spirals are on all the rocks around the world they're um, even in the in the utah we're, we're going to be going to a trip here in, in uh, 420 in uh oh. uh zion zion there's those petroglyphs in zion with the spirals yeah and so those are like in tons of different time periods and they're all around cultures looking for water too like it's like so the migrations they sort of follow the stars but also the water where you know we need water we need it to drink it's sacred it's holy and there's something to that right the and the vortexes and the energy and and so that's why a lot of these sites if you go to central america were built on top of uh, water aqueducts that's electricity uh conductor but um yeah travel was happening and it if you go to if you go to the uh, museums like in Chiapas, like I mentioned that one of the books, um, I I took several pictures all throughout Central America, and I have it on my website of you know like a Japanese face, um, a Chinese boat weight, um, a guy in a yoga pose, um, a Viking with a beard, um, a Phoenician hat. Like I mean, that's in stone, and it it was at a, a totally different time period. When they made it, it was a different time period than when these cultures existed. So at a, at a very minimum, they knew about other cultures and they knew about their technology. And whether it was in a boat or from meditating um, and tapping into some cosmic force, we don't know. But it was a reality that they knew because it's written in stone. Yeah, yeah. The other thing it made me think about is this uh, new clean technology that apparently is being unveiled. I don't know if you've heard of Randall Carlson at all. But I was thinking yeah. you, you should, I'd love it if you could look at this, these lectures on this new technology that's based on some of the ancient works that you mentioned in your book as well. I mean, it's based on the Vajra and some of yeah. the Sanskrit texts and, and sacred geometry. And this guy has tied together like the, some of the dimensions in the solar system with time to figure out like resonant frequency of the elements. And like, it just fits together. And it's apparently... Yeah you know, he's made it into a technology that's clean. So, you know, I'd love, because you've been talking about this type of thing from your mm -hmm. book and, you know, even technologies more from, you know, central S South America, but see what you think of that. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I'll like, send you a link. I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't have a degree. Um, I don't really understand math that well, but what I do know is mythology and, and, cosmology and i do the, know those symbols and so and i do have a lot of common sense which not a lot of people have it seems um all the time they're sort of looking for they're stretching their experience to try and come up with 
these new ideas, but I'm just like, I can, I can understand the chakras and I can understand the colors and in a rainbow and I can understand a, a Sri Yantra, which means the holy device in Sanskrit. And I can see where that plays out. And I can also count the numbers. And that's what I did in my book and how that relates to the body and, and the soul and all that kind of stuff. So what did you name it? The war war in the hearts of men. Why did I name it? Yeah. Um, because I felt that um, I wanted to explain a reason why uh, masculinity was such a, how do I put it? It's not, you know, a lot of people label it like, oh, this is about toxic masculinity. I didn't necessarily feel that way. I just felt that there's a lot of people who are using their masculinity and in weakness and calling it strength. And I felt like a lot of people go along with plans because it's always the reality of what has always been done. They follow their father's footsteps. And I felt that there's too much destruction in the world. And it's been sort of because we always did it this way or everyone shut up and get in line kind of thing. Um, and so the war in the hearts of men is like the concept of warring in your heart about, um, about, choices like instead of doing what's best for society or for the group you do what's best for yourself or i had my own stuff around like trusting certain people and it's about finding balance in the heart and um going on your own journey your own experience for um more of a a oneness and because i felt it to be a self-help book and without steps was just an example of what one person could do to become closer to the essence of themselves without reading like 13 hacks to freedom or whatever, you know, like there's so many self-help books that you could just toss out the window all day long. Like when I thought this is a cool thing because this is just my example on what I learned by learning about culture. I learned about myself. And did you be, were you pretty disillusioned after being in the, uh, what, what's the word for it? Army or. Yeah, I was in the army. I was a paratrooper in the mid to late nineties, 82nd airborne division. So I was infantry and we went overseas and, you know, I saw a lot of oil collection and, and uh, fighter pilot stuff, you know. So these guys are building the F-14 Tomcat and and they're like, uh, you know, the Saudis are all excited to spend their oil money and we're excited to get do commerce with Ramco, which is, you know, the, the last year, the biggest grossing oil company in the world, Ramco. Um, and that's what I was over there guarding assets. And so I discovered that, well, this war thing, which I was motivated to, you know, join the army because I wanted to make a difference. I saw this torso of a soldier in the street getting drugged through Somalia. So I said, oh, I'm signing up now. And I was 15 and a half. My mom signed a note. <laughs> so, and I was like, and I left when I was 17 and a year later, less than a year later, I was in Saudi Arabia and I was, I was guarding paperwork and, and uh, assets and, and saying, and it was counterterrorism. We were looking for bombs and patrolling the streets. And, you know, we never found any bombs, no weapons at WMDs or whatever. Right? <laughs> Brutal. What was the, what was the point where you, you had a turnaround point where I think you were asked to, didn't you stand down or something at some point? Uh, Want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, I'll talk about that. No one's asked me about that one yet. That's cool. Um, <laughs> So I was up in this tower, right? We, I mean, it's, uh, uh, what was it called? Eagle Town, right? And it's Eagle Town. It's this big compound with, as you can imagine, a, a compound with razor wires and everything and towers. And 
and, and checkpoints, you know, for the people coming in that are workers that work in the chow hall or whatever. But anyway, I, I was just dozing off the sun's coming up and I'm like behind a machine gun. And, um, I see this guy running towards the wire and, you know, he's like, Oh, uh, like running. And I'm like, Oh shoot, what do I do? You know? And I look down at the, there's a rule book, right? SOPs or whatever. And it says, shoot anyone who's running towards the wire. And so I, I'm like, but I can see clearly from here, I got my monoculars, U.S. Air Force. Why would I shoot one of us? And they, and I, I said, no, I'm not going to shoot him. And they said, you have your orders. And I'm like, yeah, but the orders are bullshit. Like, why would I want to shoot this guy? And then, you know, 30 seconds later or something, they're like, yeah, Coberly, uh, don't shoot that guy. And so had I listened to these idiots, I would have shot this guy and I would have lit him up because I had a machine gun, you know, it's. There's like a hundred rounds sitting right there and, and he would have been in the wire and it would have been my fault. And so I was like, this is not, this is, it was a pivotal moment because I had, I done that, I would have been court-martialed and been a murderer and it would, you know, but it was, they were the ones telling me, but shit rolls downhill, I guess. And so I just decided then and there, I was like, no, this isn't the country I want to support this, you know, young men dying for no reason. I, I mean, it, I'm sure, and it got much worse with Afghanistan and all that. Luckily, I didn't have to go there. So I really support the vets and all that. It's important. Did you do the South America thing while you were down in South America and get into the ayahuasca? Yeah, I tried ayahuasca, but it, actually at Big Sur, California. I don't know if you know where that is. I think uh, we have a buddy that surfs there quite a bit. Yeah, it's a good surf spot. They got a good break there, um, but it's it's in uh, Esalen, um, the Esalen uh, hot springs there, and but it's it's a you know uh, there was a cult that I brushed up against, and my girlfriend was in it, and I just wanted to be like you know try something new, and I tried all the other psychedelics, so I thought this would be cool. But um, for me, it, it, it changed my life immensely, and I've never been physically as strong as I was before um, I, it weakened my physical strength and my capacity for um, let's say I, I, the way I associated as a man it became totally different after that experience. I could barely after the just, ayahuasca. Yeah. I, I, wow. I, I couldn't like, it was just the example of my, what I associated masculinity was like my physicality, my whole life. And then just in an instant, it was like, as soon as I tried it, um it was just gone and i i i basically i had all these things where i i realized i was out of integrity and and i was acting out of selfishness and i and i really took a hard look at, at my life and i also had a, a death and i my soul left my body and came back and they didn't believe me and they were really unsupportive and i said i think you know there's something wrong i'm dying They're like no it's just a death or whatever and because it was kind of like one of the, they, they were saying like death of the ego and all that stuff. Yeah, but it was actually like I saw, I, I saw my body. I was and I was going up into the stars, and I said, "Oh my God!" Like I'm, I want to live, and and I felt myself go back down. So I, I don't think it was just some ego death. I mean, granted, yeah, it was, but and they didn't believe me. But I, it took me about a good year to fully reach like to be able to just do daily tasks and um you know and really feel like in my body and um and it took and it's been eight years now and so that was a one-time only thing and it, it changed my perspective 
Um, and it got me probably to the, it's the reason why I went on all these journeys and, and wrote this book really is, or one of the catalysts. Wow. Yeah. You, you, you kind of, you know, you kind of warn people off of the new age gurus too, right? I mean, you're pretty critical of like the, the trend that's happening right now with psychedelics and the sort of, I don't know if you'd call it like new age movement or I don't I mean, I think it's its whole own separate sort of sort of movement now. It kind of encompasses, you know, more more different parts of our culture than just all these other sort of spiritual movements because you got business people going to do it, biohackers going to do it. I mean, it, it's kind of like grabbing a bit of a cross section from everybody, I would think. Yeah, I mean, everyone's a superhero on Instagram, right? And they're they're sort of. I saw I saw the thing the other day, and this woman, and they're all hanging out. It's like. You know, of course, I'm jealous. I don't have friends like them and I get it. But it's like I they're all in Sedona hanging out and they have hundreds of thousands of followers. Right. And they're all doing something good. They're doing breath work and it's great. But they guarantee that you'll have 24 hours of bliss. And I thought, oh, my God, if I had 24 hours of bliss, I wouldn't be a human. (laughs) You know, all these things are like, you know, the dogma, this like a shaman saying there's no dogma, but uh we're the new native Americans. <laughs> and it, to me is, I was like, wait a second, like what kind of dogma is that? How can you speak? We're the new native Americans. We're a bunch of white privileged people from LA doing a psychedelic to change our lives because our parents were bastards, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> what, what does he, tr- what does he mean by that? I don't even understand what he would mean by that. Uh, I try, I analyze it for years, you know, cause I have little, I never forget phrases or faces, right? People say, so he, you know, he's, he said, we're the new native Americans. And I think either he meant that we were going to, that his church, cause he had a church, his church was going to change the way that everyone looked at the earth or something. I mean, that's the best positive thing I could think of. Right. But I took it as um, we know it's best for everyone else. <laughs> That's how I took it. I could have been wrong, but hmm. it just, it, it was off-putting. And I think there's a lot of people that, because they have an experience like myself or whatever, and you want to share it, right? You want to go out there and be like, yeah, let's like make the world a better place. But then it's like, you're sort of like trying to tell everyone what's best for them when really that's why there's different religions and different opinions. And the world is beautiful because everyone has a different perspective, but like, I just I I feel like that um, the tradition's important, and so that's why I always go back to the tradition. Like you know, like I studied meditation. I studied with Alan Wallace, who sat next to the Dalai Lama. When I wanted to get educated, I went to teachers in the root source of the place because I wanted to have a pure experience, but also wanted to do something that that was authentic and and where i was actually learning tradition because i i guess i'm in between generations maybe like you guys were like i do feel tradition is important or like you know i don't feel that you can just call yourself a spiritual guru because you have a lot of interest or the shortcut yeah or just go for one ceremony and then you're sort of enlightened (laughs) yeah 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 like it's like from puke bucket shuffler to uh angel person or something i remember seeing that like this time i'm getting everyone's puke and i'm tossing it in the hole and the next time i'm sitting next to the shaman like playing a guitar or something <laughs> it's i don't know if that makes sense but oh yeah darren yeah 
Well, maybe that's kind of like the. It's sort of like the way it, uh, the way the, the culture sort of, sort of needs to seesaw back and forth between progression and like, you know, McKenna said culture is not your friend, but I'm not sure I agree with them fully because there's a whole lot of parts of a bunch of different cultures that seem pretty great when they start being gobbled up by monoculture or pop culture. But now it's a political pop culture where everything's politics. It's sort of shifted to in my lifetime. And I feel like my grandkids will grow up in a world where, you know, there's no Dutch culture and Canadian culture and Mexican culture and all these different cultures that I would argue bring a lot of richness to the world at the risk of a, of division. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a question in there, but no, there's kind of a line to walk where where there's you need to stick somewhat to the tradition and you know i would i would argue right now we're a little off the rails we've come a little maybe farther from tradition than we should in a bunch of different ways um you know on the right and the left i could say you know there's whereas the right is maybe taking away some fundamental freedoms with some psychedelics and things like that for you know almost a hundred years now that would lead to expansion of consciousness and blah, 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 blah. And now, you know, I'm not going to talk about it here, but now we're in this world where the left seems to be doing things that are crazy. I mean, you know, with kids involved and stuff like that. And it's just like everybody's testing culture to some weird degree. And you got to sort of walk the line of that. And I wonder how we do that as we, you know, because I mean, that McKenna thing seems like a trap. The throwing out all the culture seems to be how we get fucking Walmarts on every corner <laughs> and the same fast food chains and the same gas stations and the same coffee shops. And everyone's watching the same fucking TV shows and the same movies so they can all, you know, it's it's become yeah. one giant monolithic culture. That's what I think we end up with if we start losing that tradition. Yeah, and it's, I think it's important to pay homage to the ancestors or the people who came before us who set it up for us. Like, you know, I, I mean, but yeah, it's like how do you how do you maintain the tradition without sort of or with like throwing off the bad ideas like, you know, uh, like war, like war. Yeah, you know, and being, you know, no tolerance for homosexuals or whatever. Like all this so it's about tolerance for the other people and i i feel like we grow up and we have opinions but are those our opinions or are they our father's opinion or are we how are we conditioned and, and how can we have more tolerance for others but also not go too extreme i mean uh like the zapatistas in mexico um they had this leader called uh subcommander marcos and he he helped them sort of get their rights back from the mexican government um he was a total total uh revolutionary but what he said is beware of the uh neo left and that what he just meant was people disguising like bill clinton for example you know i i talk about bill clinton and bush being lousy liars because bill clinton came up with nafta and that was to basically steal from the indigenous populations who were doing all of our orange picking and our and raising our cattle for hamburgers you know 
and and they got marginalized big time. So he he spoke for them, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you get what what advice would you give to people that haven't done psychedelics yet, but they might want to try iboga or ayahuasca or uh, maybe even mushrooms or anything anything kind of like that? Well, I I think it's good that people are microdosing now. Like I said, we used to macro dose all the time. Like talk about McKenna's <laughs> like heroic dose or whatever. Like it wasn't very smart because it becomes just like swigging a fifth of whiskey or something. And I, you know, so, but macro dosing, or I mean, micro dosing, you know, is important and also set in setting, like speaking of tradition, like Ram Dass and Timothy Leary, they said that set and setting, right? Where are you at and who are you doing it with? As opposed to like, I think I'll see a laser light show in the middle of downtown next to all these crazy homeless people. Like, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing spiritual about, it might need be neat, but like, you know, maybe you could sit with your friends and have an intentional experience. Or if you're going to do ayahuasca, certainly sit with someone who understands the medicine beyond their own personal needs or for fame or, or ego stroking, you know, like, and I, I, I wish I would have sat with a Peruvian shaman. And if I, if my nerves could handle it, I would do that. I think it, you know, I think that's really cool that you do it from the source. Yeah, because you actually even, I mean, you even sort of warn against not just sort of, let's say, somebody in L.A. with their own little, you know, circle or, or something. But even, even I guess, people are taking advantage of it uh, in Central America and, and Mexico and, and other places as well, right? Gurus popping up everywhere. Yeah, like I was talking about in the book, the guy with the Adidas, Adidas sweatsuit and the stack of $100 bills. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, and I'm like, hey, well, I want a spiritual experience. And he's like, I don't have time for you. Like, <laughs> and he's like, reminds me of the weed dealers I grew up with, you know. So, <laughs> but I just thought it was funny. I was like, you know, what, what is it? What's, how is this authentic? How is this spiritual? And, but it, you got to feed your family. So they just see an opportunity. It's like anything else, you know. The thing I noticed in this uh, in this book that I was reading as well about they they had they got the ruling they got the I can't I can't really articulate this but they came back after the I can't remember if it was the Spanish conqueror what's his name again uh, or if it was the the British when they conquered but they they talked about the ruling like as if they were kings right but they didn't realize that they are actually just like voted for. And they are like temporary chiefs that were voted for kind of like, who's a completely different hierarchy system. And I don't remember if this was like the Maya or the Aztecs or what culture it was, but they just completely got what was going on there wrong. You know, almost yeah. because so then they could go in and say, well, this is a kingdom and this is a tyrant. And this is like, we got to take over this guy. Because if they said, well, it's a it's a leadership of the people and they all vote for it. And if they don't like it, then they can get rid of the guy right away. Like, th I guess they, they might have been willfully blind to it. But I guess, it, I guess, do I have a question in there? I mean, I guess just any comments on that. And then, and then what would, you know, what would some of those parts of ancient culture would you really appreciate? Um, well, it was different in different places. Like if they're. For, I think further in North American with the like Indians, right? You know, the those indigenous people, there that was more of a like sort of uh, it was less of a king thing. But when you get towards Central America, 
in South America. And it just depends on the time period too, but you have a lot of Kings who were ultimately the, if they didn't perform, the people got upset. So, I mean, it's like the weather is bad, the corn's bad, and now it's your fault. And that's why they <laughs> disillusioned. But that's, I mean, that's all I can really speak to about that is that um, they weren't, they, I guess they were there for a reason, mostly to just, um, they were installed either by, by rulers from another, uh, let's say, site or pyramid far away that had more power. And they were like vassals to this society. Um, so they're either like that or the or a lot of times like in Palenque, um, you would have like like here, that's actually the coronation right here. You can kind of see that's yeah. that's how they go down. That's the mom of Pakal, the guy who had was on the sarcophagus with the star with the cross that's on ancient aliens. So he she, he was being coronated at a young age, and it's sort of like get who you can get in power when you can prove their legitimacy. So um, you know, and if you can connect them to some cosmological force from thousands of years ago, then that's an even better position, I guess. Did Did you get the sense that their their sacrifices and their rituals worked at all? Uh, no, no, they don't work. Like, like, and one example is that you know the ATM cave in Belize that I talk about. It's like we went back in there, and it's like they they have this ruler Chalk, the the rain god, right? And they were experiencing drought and famine, and they're like, what do we do? Well, let's go to the priest. They'll fix it. And the priests go, oh, let's kill a bunch of people and sacrifice to chalk and way back in the caves. So I remember being there and seeing, like, hundreds of kids, like, finger and toe bones and femurs and cracked in skulls and all this. And, you know, way back in these caves. And it didn't – and if you go to the record of – geological record or the, the record of the weather, it was – a famine and it didn't and a drought and it didn't change that's yeah. why they left you know so yeah it didn't it didn't really matter like if the the rituals didn't matter it's like you can stick all the stingray spines through a penis and drip it on some woman's tongue that's what they did so it's like and then like put a rope through her tongue and then you know what are they it it doesn't really matter no <laughs> Yeah, no, I just wondered if they were more in tune with the, you know, nature. It's so, because I feel like some of the ancient cultures were more in tune with what was going on with the weather and and maybe even had some sort of control over it, but yeah, maybe they, no, just, maybe they just got so, so big and out of control that, you know, they got corrupted just like we are now. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I I've, with groups of people, you can change the weather with your mind, small things or a few, like I've been doing, I've done yoga before and been like sitting, like standing in tree pose and took a deep breath and said, Oh, let's imagine the wind blowing. All of a sudden the wind picks up. I mean, I, it's, it's when you're close to the root of this, of the earth or close to the mother nature. But when you're sitting on top of a pyramid and you're in an elite situation and you're doing rituals to prove things or to try and, change the outcome so you're because you're selfish that's a whole different story and i think the intention at the beginning was cool but once the civilizations get too big that's when the yeah. magic stops happening that's what i was thinking exactly and and i did want to kind of mention at the end of the book i think you say well you know they're not sacrifice we're not sacrificing you know people anymore and then i was like well i don't know 
I was reading this George Bernard Shaw book from the mid forties, 1940s. And, and he's a communist and a socialist and, but he's got some really interesting takes on scientism and the medical malpractice. And, and he was making a, a correlation to like, we're still sacrificing animals, humans, just at the altar of science or the altar of this medical, medical thing. And he was proving like all this bunk science that these people were using to actually just like sacrifice dogs over and over or sacrifice humans. I mean, and it, and I started thinking about it like maybe he's onto something. I mean, maybe we're not even consciously doing it. Maybe we're just, we're just changed our gods. You know, now it's, now it's for science or for, for medicine instead of the old deities. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be, so. algor- be next. It'll be algor- What's that? next. It'll be algorithms. <laughs> That's what I mean. Is like I agree with you, Darren. It's like that. I think in the book I say we're not sacrificing that anymore, but we're sacrificing our children to the algorithm, or something like that. I forget. But you know, you're right. It's like what's most important to the algorithm or the hashtag or like or the the consensus. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah, and science changes anyway, you know. All of a sudden, they'll disprove something, and it's, they were completely wrong, but they held so tight to it, right? And then yeah. how many people or animals were sacrificed for this stupid idea? <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned in there, too, I couldn't believe it. I've, I didn't think anybody else really picked up on the ISIS thing, but, you know, you mentioned ISIS and the swastika, how they've, how they've uh, co-opted symbols that were important, religious symbols or names. Um, for evil yeah because yeah well energy is tangible like everything has energy right but and crystals like if you know like if you have a crystal and like think about this crystal how long um it's been around and what it's seen and when it was created what it saw like what it took to make this crystal and sort of so the momentum and the energy of a tangible device or thing used time over time again is powerful and so if you're using a thing that's tens of thousands of years old um, that's been used by other cultures for um, for energy, like the swastika was essentially a, a cardinal direction and a compass of and it, it was used for um, you know for these different elements, right? And the center of the element is ether. And so ether is time past, present, and potential future. That's like time travel. So you're essentially using the the elements and time traveling through all this. Every time the symbol has been used, you're using the force of that. So that's why Hitler had so much power behind his momentum. You know, that's interesting. So it's not about, it's not about over, it's not about changing it. It's about utilizing the the previous power in a way or the potential that it has. Like chi, like water, you know, like Bruce Lee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting mm. so it's in the new one can you use like the starbucks logo or the golden arches and yeah <laughs> yeah like Actually, i was reading something today that said the, the mcdonald's might be in trouble so what happened well, i think they're just uh fucked nobody likes your stuff anymore they're not oh. selling any stuff it's not very good I don't know, man. I think they're lined up all like crazy in Canada still. I don't know. They were getting ready to lay off a whack of people. Wow. So what are you reading now? 
what's your uh, like what's your go to for are you a fiction guy, nonfiction? Are you gonna write oh, anymore? I'm reading Razor's Edge. That's the one I don't know if you saw that movie with Bill Murray when he goes to Tibet and he changes his life. And uh but the it's a book. I'm halfway through. Iron John, it's a book about men. It sort of talks about initiation and how there's no initiation in culture anymore. And oh. So I feel that to be really important. I like to talk. Yeah, about yeah. Let's let's dig into that a little bit because we t- we've talked about that multiple times, and I've even had people emailing saying, "What do you suggest, like for my for my son who's going? You know, he's maybe thirteen, or he's and and they don't know what to do with with kids anymore." Yeah, I mean, this sort of says like bring out the wild man, like the hairy wild beast that's untamed, because. Uh, it sort of talks about how women, um, some some teenagers, they get to a certain point and they despise their mom because they're controlling. And if the teenager still doesn't do anything about it and he's not initiated, then he's sort of not that it's bad to be raised by your mom, but he's they he sort of says that once you um, when when you're at that sort of coming of age point, if you're not initiated into manhood in a capacity that's wild and and free and close to nature you sort of um become not spineless but you become like indecisive and you become um unsure of your step and you feel lost wow so can you expand on that a little bit with with your view on masculine like what a positive masculine uh trait would be or or what positive masculinity looks like yeah i mean what I feel like, you know, whether you're gay or straight or whatever your orientation is, it doesn't really matter. I feel that you ultimately it's like, how do you make decisions? Um, like I was saying, that's best for the group. And how are you making decisions that are good for you as well without being a pushover? Like healthy nose, like women learning today to say no to men, you know, that kind of, same thing goes. Um and I think healthy relationship to the masculine is being grounded in your convictions and doing what's rest or best for everyone. But if you're talking about healthy feminine, feminine aspects within yourself, it's like working with the power of water. Like a river is powerful. Like when the, when you go down the river in a canoe and you're following that, that pathway, you're really zenned out in this sort of direct way. And you're going with what is, but not like, it is what it is. Oh, well, like it's more like this You're going is with the flow. Yeah. 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 Going with the flow, harnessing the energy of electricity, which is powerful. And that's, that's like once, if you unlock that within yourself or within, even with relating to a woman as a man, that's, that's unstoppable. What about if you don't agree with, uh, what's good for the group or, you know, like what, at what point, <laughs> At what point does does that come in? You know, at what point? Um, when do we when do we turn on the group, or when is it time? When is mob rule not always the best idea? And on what time? You know, because sometimes groups make decisions based on short term circumstances, and they're not really thinking about the long term circumstances. Well, what if they're what if they're making decisions based on misinformation or something? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't know. I mean, you could start with a talking stick. I like that. Like the Native Americans, each person gets a stick and you talk and everyone, I mean, 
I guess if once you vote, you vote uh, and you make a mistake and then you, um, I, I mean, you've seen that show lost, right? Do you remember that? I didn't watch it. Is that the plane yeah. crash? Yeah. I, I made it so. to like season six and then it was like, yeah, fucking go. going off the rails. Yeah. But I mean, they just, you never knew who to trust. And then, you know, all this, I, I can't speak to, to say that I would have all the answers if I was in a group, but I think you would maybe have some basic principles like, you know, not don't harm other people, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it seems like the, like letting people do like, just what's that, what's that ax that maxim that just uh, let people be as long as they're not harming others, that kind of thing. Like it's just do unto do unto others what you do with yourself or whatever. I mean, it just seems like that should be, it's just gone. Like that whole thing is just now people just want to force people to do other things. Like what happened to just leave people be as long as they're not harming people. Well, I think that brings about the sort of greater cycles of time. It's like, um, and how they, the indigenous explain it is like, you have, you know, equinoxes and on a small scale and then a large scale, like, um, you know, 1,125 years the Maya talk about it and that's that in that time period that's a whole uh, masculine cycle and then the next 5,125 years is a feminine cycle so in the point in the zero point 2012 that was the center okay and then it starts to spiral out in the other direction so you have it from masculine where we were to feminine and then it's like out of balance for a while and then it comes back into balance and so it's just cycles of time and energy and you can't ever really control it. Yeah. That's interesting too. Hmm. Hmm. That fits into... Go ahead. Oh, like the, the Kali Yuga or whatever the, the Hindu people yeah. talk about. The great, the great year. Yeah. I mean, that fits into Malcolm Bendel's work too. I mean, he's got the time, the cycles of time in the, in those equations as well. It's interesting. So and do you, you had What's that? Oh, I was just, I, all these books that you have, I've never read. And I, I'm like, I got to read all these books. These well, no, I, this is more of like a set of lectures. I'll, I'll send them, I'll get your email and I'll send them to you. Okay. Um, they're just, they just came out recently. It's, it's just interesting. So you also talk about a couple of synchronicities. We always talk about synchronicities on the show and you mentioned them in your book. Do you, yeah. do you, do you want to talk about them offhand at all? Or? Um, the ones in the book are just synchronicities in general. Uh, either one, whatever you, whatever, any yeah. specific ones that have happened to you maybe? Or? Yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, I kind of, want, I, oh, I remember. Yeah, it's like one thing to the next, you know, it's like you sort of, like you're walking down, you're walking down the street and you meet someone and then you were just thinking, man, I, I really want to go to Peru. And then they say to you like, you know, oh, I just went to Peru. That's cool. Oh, where'd you go? The Sacred Valley. That's where I was going to go. You know, just those little things. And then people that, oh, it's a coincidence. Like, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in synchronicity. And that's how I followed each teacher and how I really got into this whole thing was I one thing led me to the next to the next. And I followed the synchronicity in my life. I noticed when things were out of place. And once I really started getting into dream work um, and doing lucid dreaming and Tibetan dream yoga, that's when I noticed the difference in synchronicity um, that was really powerful. What's the difference between Tibetan dream yoga and lucid dreaming? 
Well, lucid dreaming. Um, one of my teachers, Stephen Labarish, he he proved. Oh him. yeah, we yeah, I know we know Stephen. I think we had him on the show a long time ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. he's great. Oh no, he's no, like- we didn't. We didn't. That was the book I read. But we had uh, the other guy on. There's another guy that wrote a, a famous book. But I started with Labarish's book too. Yeah, and I have it right here actually. But um, he's the guy's wacky. You know, he's a scientist, but. He he makes it fun, and I went to a couple of his conferences and his or his, his uh, retreats. Yeah, and he, and he, lucid dreaming is just knowing that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. That's it. That's what lucid dreaming is. I mean, there's techniques to get to there, but by definition, that's all that it is. But I like Tibetan dream yoga is doing something about it. So there's more of a sort of a, a dharma or a purpose there. You're like going into okay, how can I change my personal life? How can I change the outcome of my waking life through the dream time? And they go into these practices like, you know, turning yourself into mist to go under a door to go, um, you know, you have a reoccurring dream, you're trapped inside this room and there's a door, it's locked, you can't get through. Turn yourself into mist, go under the cracks and free yourself, that kind of thing. And it's just on micro and macro scale of all the options you could be doing. Um, it becomes to where, like one time I, I had, um, these bikers were attacking me in a laundromat, right, in my dream. And so I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I must be dreaming. When do I get attacked by bikers in a laundromat? So I, um, I was like, I just got to get away from them. So I turned completely small and like that big, and I, sh- and I shoved myself through the glass window. I went through and I flew up, and I went into SpongeBob SquarePants's, uh, uh, he was drinking. Um, he was drinking a drink it by a pool, right? So I end up going through the straw or into the drink and he and he sucks me up and then um, I go into his stomach and I and it, I feel myself in the acid and then I wake up. But the, the deal was is <laughs> it was it was crazy, right? But the deal was is I did something, I was conscious enough to change the dream to make it begin to make it more positive. Cause I used to have reoccurring nightmares and all this, and I don't have nightmares even when like ninjas are attacking me with submachine guns like it's not it's just all it's not of scary anymore it's more of an adventure or something yeah yeah and you because you know and, there's an outcome there's a reason so for you, it so you fix that through the tibetan dream work yeah wow yeah. and so the deal is 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 like you know where are your insecurities where are your fears like the shadow self like young talks about like you know unconscious self and your you're unconsciously like maybe you're treating women as sex objects or you're you're uh you know you have all these you got a basement full of weird toys that, and there's a you know you you're just sort of like a, a person who has issues around your 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 life and you want to change them you're sort of there's you're finding ways to fill up your life with you know big mac or whatever all these things that stop you from being closer to yourself and your your conscious self you can change that in the dream time and there's no restrictions based on you know all the things that are in the waking life so for me it was like it was about my interactions with women and it was also about like okay like um i don't need to be the same person that they all want me to be anymore i can do whatever i want like anything's possible that was a real transition for me once i realized in the dream that well, I can do anything I want. That's when I became an author. That's when I started traveling more and learning about myself and other cultures. Yeah. 
Is there? Did you ever practice any healing or anything through the Tibetan dream work? Like, or is that a is that a component of that work? Like, can you heal others in that realm? Yeah, I mean, I I, I became a Reiki master. I did that. I did all sorts of stuff. Like, I don't. It's not something I do. Like, I don't have it on my website or anything like that. But no, no. Uh, but I mean, just like philosophically, or or uh, yeah, or not you specifically, but in general. Like, is there, is that is that a component of that work? Yeah, I mean, you have they talk about the chakras, but they talk about the sort of vocals. There's like exercises that you can do, um, and and about the daikinis and the energy, healing energy of the daikinis. Um, but it's it's psychological. Like they say, it's like you know, one dream could be better than three years of psychotherapy. Is kind of where yeah. they get into. Yeah. Is there anything you think uh, we need to cover that we didn't cover yet of, of the book? Um, just that I, I feel that um, of all the people in the world and all the different ideas that um, tolerance is key, that um, there's so many ideas and options in this world other than what you've always known. And the, the self-discovery is probably the way um, that would go much further than any self-help book or any any sort of panacea for something like your own path is more important than than whatever someone else has laid out for you. Well, that, where can listeners? Where's the best place for listeners to get the book? What's the website? Uh, if you could spell that out for us for people that are too lazy to check the notes, and if yeah. you could get any social media where people can go and. Uh, you know, following around on that. Yeah, thanks, Darren. It's elicoberly.com is my website. And the the um, book, War in the Hearts of Men, is available on Amazon and Instagram, Eli Coberly. That's E-L-I-C-O-B-E-R-L-Y? Correct, yep. Right on. Thanks, Eli. This has been great. Um, I can't wait till the next book comes out. Are you going to do an audio book? Is yeah, there's an audio book. An audio book? Yep. Did you narrate it yourself? No, I have a guy from uh, Reno actually that did it. He's he's a good guy. I wondered if he actually had his mind changed by your book at all. I, I don't. I hope that. so. I hope I influenced. I was it. thinking that because it's pretty deep. It gets into some cool ancient mysteries and stuff. And I was like, I wonder if this guy is like gonna get interested in all these ancient mysteries now after reading it. I, yeah, it could be. He he definitely was like, did I pronounce this right? Like. That was a lot of work getting that the Maya language right. Oh yeah, to- totally. Yeah. Well, Quetzalcoatl and all those all those crazy old. If you ever old need names. another guy that has trouble pronouncing old names, I know just the fella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, thanks. This is fun, Eli. Big thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. If you could just hang out in the waiting room for a second or two, it'll tell you when you're done uploading. Uh, other than that, it's been a fantastic chat. We hope you have fun and come back anytime. Love to. Thanks. And that was a chat with Eli Coberly. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, that was fun. What uh, yeah. did you listen to the audiobook then? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, the guy. It was good. It was good uh, narrator. It was a good book. Yeah. Did you do any? I could. I could just sense that. I could just sense that he wasn't necessarily like deep into the topic like Eli was. You know, or like we are. That's all. You could tell that came across. Yeah. 
No, no, no. Not just I, love, I, I, dude, I read books all day long, so I can tell. Like, it's just, uh, I have a bunch of Audible credits right now, so oh, I'm sure to check that out. Yeah, I think I have yeah. three or four. So, yeah, it was a fun book. Then I have that. We still have that. We should talk about that other Audible credit. Anyway, big thanks to Eli for coming on the show. Check out his stuff. Buy his book. Let us know what you think. Buy our books. Adultbrain.ca. Buy my book. A Canadian shame. Ca. I think it's CA. Might be called. Must be CA. It's CA, yeah. Anyway, head over to grimerica.ca for everything we're up to because uh, we can't continue to have these conversations with great guys like Eli and uh, doing what we're doing without the support of fellows and ladies like you. Grimerica.ca slash support. If you can, when you can, guys, sign up for a monthly. Check out adultbrain.ca for the audiobooks. We have that event coming up. It might not be too late to come to Utah last minute, 420 to 24 April. We're going to party down in Utah, see some stars, have a blast. Uh, there's like six spots left. Unless you want to camp. There's a bunch of camping, but it looks like there's going to be like four feet of snow. So it might not be the best camping. But if you like, like, want to build igloos a and stuff. Yeah, you could build a snowfall igloo. There we go. We do a podcast from igloo while we're down there, like the old days. I think that's about it. Uh, support us if you like us so we don't go away. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Baby, you're just a single solitary drop in the bucket, baby. You're just a drop in the bucket, baby. You're just a single solitary drop in the bucket, baby. I'll be a poet today. Sketch.
Watch out the scenery Rambling from here and there and back and forth between here and there and back and forth between here and there and to the corner store The sunrise corner store The sunrise corner store The sunrise corner store Pinching pennies La da 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 I'll buy it up with my good charm Buy myself a dog to 